All right, well, welcome to uh, Insecure Space episode 13, where we're going to talk about giving technical talks to an audience, breaking down things so that normal people can understand. Uh, Hackerspace News, where we're looking in on the community that Spacehoon is working on. And then Arduino Hacking, where we go into some projects I've been working on that use super low-cost tools to do some exciting stuff. Okay, so our first topic is about technical talks, because uh, David recently gave one uh, and I just, I watched it last week. I saw it on, I had it on my YouTube watch later list, actually, and uh, it was really good. I have to say that I watched a lot of technical talks, especially from the Congress and other events. And most of them, they kind of suck. <laughs> and that's what we uh, want to talk about in this uh, topic here. Um, and yeah, I don't know, David, maybe you can yeah. hit yeah, the so topic of... The problem with this topic is that I, I feel bad if I say stuff like this, mostly because I have all of the people who at these events, you know, and there are other people talking and, and, and I don't want to be an asshole in terms of talking <laughs> about them in a wrong way or saying that they are shit. So th this is not what we are saying. This is that maybe these talks are, you know, uh, over the technical talks are not really great for every audience. So my problem here is that um, uh, does a talk have to be overly technical to be at a security conference? Because if you look at it, most of the talks at these conferences, anywhere you go to, uh, are really, really uh, technical around 90% of the time. And there are only like, you know, very small percentage of talks which are actually, you know, interesting and, and made for beginners and um, and discuss something in a really beginner friendly way and i don't know why this is so why there are why is this some tradition that every conference talk should be technical and you know uh, something really really groundbreaking technical thing when you could rather do something which is a bit more uh, entertaining and more motivating for the average listener uh, because um I think um, these talks are mostly for a specific audience. If you look at a talk, which is, for example, talking about one software and, and uh, you know, like security, security stuff about one specific software, and then all of the people who are not uh, associated or not using that software are basically, uh, they are not interested. So most of the people in the talk uh, who is the audience probably didn't uh, have the that you know didn't use that software so they probably don't care and only a very few percentage will care about the very detailed explanation so um, uh, I think a better way to do it would be to target the whole audience by giving more basic uh, talks and more basic examples uh, about stuff and this is what I try to do um, with two of my talks and uh, Space Ham watched it and said that he could kind of understand stuff I d <laughs> there was the I was I had to talk about the OWASP top 10 and um, and uh, Space Ham said he understood yeah, it which it was, was the goal I think it was very beginner friendly and uh, yeah you really uh, made it entertaining and just focused on the important thing and got your points across something I can can't say for most technical talks i try to watch through most of the uh yeah uh, talks from the 35c3 for example actually before i watched your talk it was just in my watch later list 
and I had already listened to two or three other talks beforehand and I skipped them all after like five to ten minutes because these people often um, they they focus so much on technicalities and dive so deep into the topic and completely forget about explaining really what their talk is about. I mean, they maybe name the software or the the specific technique they're going to talk about or something, but they never, they they completely fail to include beginners and, and outsiders. Often people do talks for their specific community, their, their sub-community of a community. It's not for just for hackers, it's for a specific group and... Um, yeah, often it just goes super yeah, but boring. And it, it, I feel like researchers, though, are, like, unique in that majority of them have technical skills and maybe not as many, like, social skills. So relating to large groups of people, like, is probably not these people's, like, primary skill in life. You know, like, especially if they really spend a ton of their time doing a deep dive on this technology or whatever vulnerability or thing that they created, like, it... it often could be that like they they're just not great at presenting what could be a very very interesting field of work um to the majority of people because they don't have a good example they don't have a way of, of um, relating it to most people i saw a lot of talks where where the presenter actually was just pre he could present really well but completely failed at explaining what he is talking about <laughs> and just dive into like you you didn't get the idea you, you didn't uh, feel like this is an introvert or something uh it was someone who really know how to uh, articulate and speak and how to stand or in front of a big audience but still uh completely um yeah lost his his points i i watched uh, a, a one hour talk about blockchain technology and well, afterwards that was your problem I was right there yeah you know, i know that was your mistake <laughs> but afterwards i was not smarter than before uh i didn't learn anything i there was just so much uh technical stuff and i just i still don't uh know the details of how it works how uh, there, there was nothing that i can relate to to understand well it, you know in order to give a good technical talk i feel like you have to have a, a couple elements one is you have to have a good topic um two is you have to have a good example that re that relates to the majority of the audience so they understand in simple terms what the hell you're talking about especially if it's too niche or if it's too technical if you don't if you don't spend the time creating an analogy that lets your audience understand what it is you've done they won't appreciate it and that's that's what happens like sometimes you get researchers with great 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 content and, you know, they, they do a presentation and it sucks. Um, and it seems like, you know, their thing wasn't that great, but it turns out that they just didn't communicate well. And then there's other people that are great at communicating and their content sucks, or they just like don't have like a good way of, uh, of staying focused, I guess. But yeah, I, I mean, I understand it's hard to take something that's really, really abstract or niche and like turn it into like a simple presentation. And also uh, the, the balance is... Some people are like, all right, I've got this great thing. It's going to be awesome. Let's do a live demo. And then they go up, <laughs> they work super hard, and, like, no one's fucking told them, like, not to do a live demo. They're like, all right, this is going to go great. And then, you know, they've spent their, their last, like, eight months on this project, and it fails spectacularly. I watched this girl who designed a, um, a wand that used machine learning on a Raspberry Pi 
uh, zero, yeah, Raspberry Pi zero to like when you flicked the wand, it uh, it shouted out a Harry Potter spell according to like how the accelerometers, like readings of like how you were moving the wand, and it was super cool and interesting, and it failed every single time she tried to do it on stage. She tried to do it over and over and over, and finally, 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 at the end, it worked. But like. It was just painful to watch, like, because it... And, and then afterwards, we interviewed her, and it worked every single time that she did it. Uh, actually, funny you say that, because uh, recently I was at a, a conference, the GPN-19. doesn't really matter if you don't know this. This is a small thing. Uh, but uh, this guy wanted to make a short uh, talk, 30 minutes, including questions, so more like a 20-minute talk. Uh, and half of his presentation was based on a live demo and guess what he couldn't do the live demo so all his presentation was like three slides a hello a basic what is this about and a goodbye slide <laughs> and it was really I say, awkward I would say giving a good technical talk assumes that at some point you're going to be embarrassed on stage and learn a lesson <laughs> and if you can't uh, like if you can't deal with that gracefully it's gonna be it's gonna be difficult because watching people flame out because they get angry at their own project is like it's just embarrassing and weird you know you just have to plan for your project to fail on stage uh have a backup plan for if it doesn't work that looks graceful like you plan it like oh well that didn't work but here we go let's just do what we planned like oh it was a nice treat but it didn't work out you know that's much better than oh my god oh my god oh my god someone get my inhaler okay (laughs) all right (laughs) like that's not yeah like like most of people do you could just record the demo and if it doesn't work then play it a screen you know screen capture that works fine i think most of the cases yeah honestly getting your friends together to record a quick video of like how this thing could play out and like show show it working and then show the the reaction of the computer on the other end uh, it's about marketing and uh, the thing that i think makes you know like space and you in particular very like uh, unique is like you have great like marketing for uh, the, the projects that you do. They're like, the, you have stickers and it's easy for people to find them. And, you know, it's 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 really easy for people to remember your projects. Um, not everybody does that. <laughs> Most people, you know, stick with like a really like obscure name. They never put in the work to like, uh, to make their project memorable. And that's what makes a good technical talk a lot of the time. Yeah. What I was uh, thinking about is that, um, you know, if you could make a, I get it that, you know, there are, if you make like a big discovery or something or do like a big research, then you want to do a technical talk. But other in other cases, when it's just plainly technical for no apparent reason, then uh, why not just keep it basic? And if people are interested if people get interested, then they will look it up later, right? How did you feel about the Slido or whatever you used? Yeah, the Slido. Oh. Um, how do you pronounce? Uh, it's a Hungarian. You pronounce it Slido. <laughs> the, <laughs> what? Okay, I'll, <laughs> I'm going to take your word on it. It's like it's like you know putty, the SSH thing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, no, it's I know putty, but yeah. Putty. Okay, that's the other way to Putty. say it. In Hungarian, the T and the the thing, you pronounce it as ch, so you say puch. And everyone, even in presentation, <laughs> people at, uh, at talks say puch, so it's a Hungarian thing. Okay. I'm going to start saying that in my YouTube videos, so a whole generation of like t- uh, like nerd teenagers grew up saying that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Puch. People will get so mad in the comment section. <laughs> puch. Yeah, so the Slido. Um, I think 
I think it was really great. I, I, I really never saw anyone use stuff like that because, you know, uh, what happens at these talks is that someone wants to, or, you know, at the end they say, oh, Q&A, they put up a slide that says Q&A and then they ask if anyone has any questions and then 90, 99% of the people, if they have a question, they are afraid to, are not afraid, they are just don't want to ask it in front of everyone, right? because that's an uncomfortable thing. Well, you can also uh, ask if people understand, right? Like you can take a poll to make sure that like the majority of people oh, yeah, yeah, like, you can do that, that they understand. Well. So that way nobody has to raise their hand to, to, for you to know that the majority of the audience still doesn't understand like a particular part and you can move on when people... I liked it, but I didn't like that I couldn't use it over the slides, that it was separate. Um, uh, I wanted them to be able to see the slides and like maybe like respond to a poll on the same thing, but I noticed there weren't any services that did that. They have the... Um, they have some beta of Google Google uh, presentation thing in uh, integration. Google what? Slides. Okay. Okay. Th- this well, is I would not, use that. This is not working at the moment. You have to okay. like register and get the invite or something. I'm not, not sure how it works. It's maybe it's the full screen Google Sheets. Google. It's not Sheets. It's Google Slides. Maybe it's a full screen on the Google Slides. I don't know. But yeah, the, that would be great if you could just you know drag in like a diagram or like a vote and then it will be showing real time because now you have to switch and that's not the best but yeah the point uh, is audience that, interaction yeah yeah it's it's great i think it's it's something that especially people in the in this uh, hacking thing or like at it people appreciate because you know they everyone has a phone and everyone is most of the time when the talk is happening, people are looking at their phones and checking the talk website for who is going to be the next. So why not make it a bit more interactive with, the, for example, the Slido so they can ask questions. And yeah, I had a lot of questions, right? At Space Time, you see that even people try to DDoS it, which mm-hmm. I think that was fun. Maybe it's it's not that... Uh, it's maybe, I found it a bit annoying. Yeah, to but watch I, I think it was it. it was fun. Uh, people were I think having the fun with it. Slideo or whatever it's called. <laughs> uh, Everyone pronounced it different. Yeah, I I don't even know how to write it. Uh, but whatever, I I think it was great because uh, it also saves a lot of time. Like maybe you uh, have a question halfway through the presentation, you can just write it uh, down already. And yeah. uh, other people can upvote it, so good questions get promoted. And uh, on other events, you have to raise your hand, and then someone has to uh, bring a microphone to them. Or there is a microphone, but the person has to go there, has to raise a hand. They have to uh, get called upon. Then they start talking. Then they usually start by saying something like, oh, yeah, great talk. By the way, I do this and that. You know, things that don't really matter. Then they <laughs> finally get to the question, but they uh, ask it in a way that is super complicated and long and don't get to the point. And it's just such a waste of time. And there you have all the questions already uh, and you can collect them through your entire presentation uh, and uh, good questions get promoted. So you can instantly see uh, the best ones. And Yeah, yeah also if great. you are... If you buy the Slido, you can do uh, um, you can do like filter stuff. So you can set up a filter where someone has to approve the question, so you can do the DDoS thing. <laughs> but that's I was gonna say really honestly, expensive. this is most useful with a moderator because um, yeah, the one yeah. drawback I had and the reason why I wouldn't use it until they get um, Google Slides integration is I'm up there on the podium. You know, I've got the I've got the thing on the screen. 
I, I don't have time to be switching back and forth to Slido to like see what's up. Like, and I'm not going to be checking my phone. So somebody on the side reading the questions and then like like feeding me the good ones or something like that. Like that that is how I would do it now um, as yeah. like a moderator or somebody to be like when I yeah, hit yeah. a stopping point, give me the best upvoted questions. I hit those questions and then you know I move on. And that way you know, so it's still not totally the, what I would need to use in my presentations because I have to have my own slides up there because I use them as prompts because I talk a lot. <laughs> You can, I would totally you, do that. I would you can do the moderation. Yeah. There is the feature there. But uh, the problem is that it's like expensive, shit expensive. Uh, uh. You can't, but, but you could still have like a friend uh, go over oh, yeah, the yeah, yeah, unfiltered questions. So your friend becomes the filter. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's a free filter. <laughs> <laughs> And it seems kind yeah. of fancy to have like a moderator who like has all the questions already and has already like filtered them. Um, yeah, yeah. I just, I just. Also, thought that's, if it's hmm? a if it's a technical talk and there was more than one person, an interesting format might be you have one person sitting there answering technical questions people have that they 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 ask as as you're answering, and then the second person who's gonna go like if you have a two person team that's presenting, the first person sits and answers questions, and the second person presents, and then they switch, uh, and that way the audience actually gets their questions answered. Um, by the the second person who's on the team or somebody else who's knowledgeable about the topic. Yeah, I guess, I guess the summary of this is that uh, interactivity is yeah. important and should be used more in these talks because that that's cool if you can be interactive and interact with the presenter. Um, one more thing, your talk I really liked it also because you just you just started straight away and you weren't. You were talking pretty fast, probably because you were nervous and stuff. Oh yeah, but, I, I had um, to finish on time, and I finished I mean, ten minutes earlier. <laughs> yeah, but I, f I felt this was good because uh, the other talks I watched. Maybe that is because I watched other talks beforehand, <laughs> um, before your uh, presentation came up in my watch later list. But uh, those a lot, a lot of these tech talks, they talk, they uh, talk so slowly and don't get to their point and it's just so annoying to listen to and then you come up and you just straight up say what you are going to talk about straight up uh show and and give examples and uh yeah have a fancy presentation <laughs> with little text relatively little text uh and it's easy to understand at least for someone in this field so I, yeah i'm not sure if like a total beginner probably won't understand most of what you said But everyone that is a little bit into uh, like hacking and this kind of or web development, that kind of programming, yeah, yeah, yeah. software thank, development stuff, they will yeah. understand this. So uh, it's a great talk, actually. And even I feel like even people that know way more about this would still enjoy this talk because uh, at least I feel like this. If I see a, a presentation uh, about, I don't know, fundamentals about Uh, the ESP8266 and how to get started. If I see this talk in my recommendations, I would probably have a look at it because uh, e even though I work on it so much uh, on, on the ESPs and that stuff, there's probably something in this talk that uh, I don't know about yet or it can teach me how yeah, I it can... it just clears it up or like... Yeah, yeah, makes it makes it... It shows me a way to explain it to others as well, you know, if... If the presenter makes a great uh, point, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, then I can use that too. So, uh, yeah, it's not like you have to be super technical. Uh, even these basic talks can be great for both beginners and uh, experts. 
I will say that if you're watching a technical talk from DEF CON before watching David's video, it's probably because they make them take shots before they go on at DEF CON. That they yeah. want to stop. <laughs> it's so weird. Why do they do this? <laughs> it's, a, it's a whole culture thing. I don't know. I don't drink, so if I do a DEF CON talk, they're going to they're gonna have to deal with me taking a shot of like Dr. Thunder or something. So the final thing I was I was thinking about is that so you're I, I think you should be aiming if you're doing a talk you should be aiming for something that's uh, not too technical and uh, I think a good measure for it to approach it like you were making a YouTube video. So if you look at YouTube videos that are popular, what makes them popular? Because they are basic, understandable by you know basically everyone and. Uh, they also provide great information and they are fun, entertaining, and they are in some cases motivating to do stuff. And, and they are just all together like a great entertainment and information merged together thing. And and if you think about this, uh, if you imagine a talk which is super technical and long and, and, and you know not really interesting for most people, it's not going to get popular on YouTube. But if you try to do something that w- would you know, also be great content for, for example, YouTube, then that's probably a great topic, uh, great uh, talk uh, you could do. Yeah, that's just like my idea, is you, a way you could think about this. But that's it for this topic, because now we are heading over to the next one. Which is Hackerspace News. The Hackerspace News is presented by Spacesoon. also known in america as the chicken man yeah so um i'm not entirely sure where we left off uh, last time i uh presented the hackerspace news but um basically we have a room now but also not really um, because there is a there's a laboratory room we can use um, but it's also used by other people by other students and uh, it's full of imacs and we can't get rid of them because they need them in case uh, a course needs them because we only have two rooms with IMAX. It's just annoying and the room sucks. Uh, but it's the best thing we have right now. Uh, but it's not like we are using it uh, anyway. We are still meeting at the other place we were meeting before. We couldn't really move our stuff over yet because there we, we need a place to lock uh, our stuff up if other people can go in, in the same room anytime. Uh, because, well, 3D printers are pretty expensive equipment. We kind of need to, yeah. Anyway, kind of frustrating. Uh, but we found one professor that is kind of kind enough to support us. So we have a room, but not really. Uh, then on one meetup, an embedded engineer from a company uh, that is nearby um, yeah, came and said hello. And it's actually pretty cool because they make... Uh, these badges like uh yeah like like badges you would see in security conferences but with an nrf chip uh they can do bluetooth and that kind of stuff uh e-paper display and uh, and a button and it has the uh, connector used by the microbit as well and you have extension ports pretty cool really uh it's hmm. a company that does um single board com- oh, yeah single board computers but also uh, just in general embedded stuff for companies and uh, we probably gonna make a workshop with them together. So they gonna sponsor us these development boards, these these uh, badges. Seriously? And so y- y- is this the first company that sponsored you? Yeah. Hey, congratulations! Holy shit, that's great. Wait, so so you went from this just being an idea to starting a space to getting a space to now you have a company sponsoring a workshop. Okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so um, 
we met them at this uh, other event. I think I mentioned it last time uh, where companies came on campus and uh, yeah, we also had a booth presenting our hackerspace, showed up stuff and uh, that company was there and we talked to them and that was the only company from like, I don't know, 30 companies that were there that was actually interested in our stuff. And uh, they were super kind and they were like, oh, you need hardware? No, don't buy Raspberry Pis. If you need something, just uh, send us an email. We, we give you stuff for free. Ah. <laughs> that kind of attitude right away. Um, and then... So just, I just I just have to ask, was it your idea or their idea for... Uh, so you, did you mention that you wanted to do workshops and they're like, oh, well, we could... We could uh, we could supply yeah. that. Okay, so okay. I, was just, I was just about <laughs> to say that. Uh, before the event uh, closed, I went over there, there to their booth. Um, since they uh, wanted to give us hardware, I was like, okay, uh, hardware is great, guys, but <laughs> we need some people to support us because right now we can't... We were, Hardware is nice, but we wouldn't do anything with it. So would you be up to doing workshops or just that kind of stuff? And they were instantly like, yeah, yeah, that's great. I was actually kind of scared to ask them because I felt like maybe those are more like corporate people and they, they don't want to waste time, you know, that kind of attitude. But they were really not. Um, so a f- couple of days later, one of their employees sent me an email because apparently... Uh, in the company, they also talked about us and exchanged our info. So, <laughs> pretty cool. Uh, and yeah, I just invited him to one of our meetups. He came, sh- uh, yeah, took some hardware to show off. And um, next semester, uh, that's at least where we plan to do this. Uh, beginning of next semester, when we have a bit more time, because now exams are coming up, we are probably gonna organize a uh, workshop together. They're gonna sponsor us a bunch of these boards, and uh, the uh, the uh, engineer that came by will probably get another one from the company, and then we just gonna yeah make a workshop explaining okay how do we set this up, how do we program this? Here are some examples, that kind of stuff, just to get people into uh, hardware and, and programming. So for anybody listening that's wondering how you get started building a community and then getting sponsored, that is exactly what you do. <laughs> like, that is exactly what you do. Uh, and you'll probably do something like that um, maybe seven or eight times. And most companies will be like, no. Mm, uh, and then you'll get one company that says yes, and that's all you really need. People, businesses too, look for others that are in the same kind of role as them in order to like basically make decisions. Uh, so if a company's already sponsored you, it's way easier to go to the next company and say, hey, this other company just like you has already sponsored us. You know, would you be willing to do a workshop too? So the only advice I, I would I would give from my experience like running a, a student organization is it's extremely important to take photos when you have a sponsor doing any sort of event or, or a video or something that looks nice so that they feel good about it and that the next sponsor will just agree to, to do it no questions asked. Because if it looks like there's a bunch of students there, they look like they're having fun and the, the, the photos look decent quality, you won't really have to ask very hard again. Um, it just takes one good event that draws enough people to take photos so that you can send it to these people uh, during outreach and, and show them that you can get students together to work on these things. And that's what they want. They want good student organizers to partner with them on these sorts of projects because it makes their companies look amazing and it gives them the best possible people for you know a job in their company or an internship. It's like recruiting that does itself. For the cost yeah. of a couple boards, they get you know all these interested students who you know are learning their product and might create something that's actually commercially useful. 
I feel like uh, workshops or events like this is the thing that will grow a space like this. Yeah. Um, it's the thing that draws a lot of attention. It's a great thing where you can invite new people, newcomers, uh, introduce new people to, to this whole thing. If we are uh, working together with the university, the university can use it as their promo marketing stuff as well. Um, yeah, it's just great. It's a win-win for everyone. Um, right now, it's just difficult for us because we still haven't uh, solved that room situation yet. And uh, we just need a room for ourselves um, to just expand and, and grow um, and figure out some things. Because right now we are like super busy with bureaucracy and stuff and dealing with university professors and other people. Um, but yeah, another thing, uh, good thing, though, we organized the movie night for next week where we're going to show All Creatures Welcome. So uh, shout out to uh, that movie <laughs> and the woman who did it, uh, which name I just forgot. But uh, it's amazing movie. It's about the uh, Congress uh, here in Germany and the camp uh, organized by the Chaos Computer Club. It's an amazing community by itself, uh, pretty unique. Uh, I think it's the biggest hacker community in Europe. And uh, yeah, if I mean, we made a whole podcast about our experience going to the congress and uh that film just captures it perfectly um, sandra trustel yes <laughs> just is this, amazing this is uh, an open source movie. yes it's an open source movie there what does that's that also mean? great for our uh they release all the source material uh all the music even the the notes um just oh, they, everything they made their own music yeah just oh. everything and it's uh it's uh, under creative commons so uh it's actually great because we can organize this movie night uh without any like copyright problems we can just show mm. this thing it's non-commercial so uh there's no problem hmm. that's cool yeah david you have to watch it even Cody yeah 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 <laughs> i know it's a really good movie i as i, I was <laughs> i was saying it's extremely european but at the same time, uh, it, and it kind of feels like a mix between like an art film and a documentary. But I thought some of the interviews were amazing. Like they really captured what it's like <clears throat> to like be one of these students or be one of these instructors and be either be learning about technology in this amazing community or be like teaching or like, you know, explaining the rationale for why it's important to do this sort of thing. It's, it was awesome. I, yeah, I, think, so, I think I'm going to watch it this week. Yeah. Actually. If you you went to the Congress and if you went to one of those, if you went to the Congress or the CAM, one of those events, uh, you will you will love this movie anyway because it just it captures that exact feeling. And if you watch it, you you're gonna feel it again. It's uh, it's just awesome. Um, yeah, gives you gives you flashbacks and stuff. It's <laughs> it's just great. Um, anyway, uh, another thing that happened just yesterday, um, there was a meetup in the uh, youth center in my city, so they sent out invites. And um, yeah, we, we are guessing they sent invites to everyone born uh, 1998 or later uh, because only one of our guys <laughs> got it, even though uh, we, were, we are all pretty much in that uh, age group, uh, or at least a lot of us are. Um, but yeah, it's a meetup uh, organized by the city government. The letter was actually signed by the mayor uh, for yeah a, me a meetup in the youth center um, to... 
uh, yeah, just a meetup to discuss how we can improve the uh, activities and, and the participation of young people in the city, basically. So um, we didn't know what we expect, uh, what we should expect. And then uh, on Friday, I uh, just prepared super heavily. We wrote out an entire concept. This thing is a Google document, now eight pages long, detailing what is a hackerspace, what is a makerspace, what are the differences, who are we, what we are doing, uh, just just everything you can think of if you make something like uh, we do. And uh, it's not only because of that event, but we're probably going to need that concept uh, document for other Uh, meetups again and again and we can also copy paste text to the website or other info material we print um, yeah also a list of great examples of working hacker spaces so I went through uh, I think 50 other uh, websites of, of hacker spaces in this country it's just yeah super heavily prepared and then uh, turns out the meetup is actually pretty casual uh, and um They were politicians there, the mayor was there, people from the city council uh, were there, but as soon as uh, the press picture was taken, they vanished. <laughs> so we had no <laughs> chance talking to any politician. Great. And um, yeah, the rest of the event was more of a casual meetup for young people and there was some uh, yeah, expert in... in basically a teacher and they had we had to play a weird game to you know learn how to work together that kind of bullshit <laughs> um uh yeah i mean it was it was casual it was it i don't want to say it was fun but it also wasn't a total waste of time um but the <laughs> uh, the, the t it wasn't really useful but the tldr Uh, was that the city organizes uh, a lot of stuff already, or the, the youth center does, uh, but uh, they, they suck at marketing. Uh, they totally suck, because we didn't know of any of this. All the young people there didn't know of, of most of the stuff they do. Uh, on their website, there wasn't even any date where, where when they meet up. All their organizing was done over Facebook, and none of us has Facebook. Even the young people didn't have Facebook. Um, <laughs> how many people? How many people were there? Because if everyone got a letter, if mm, they were born, maybe 20 people. But but then, twenty twenty five. Yeah, city is small, and a lot of people will ignore it. Obviously, a bunch of people are also probably off doing hood rat stuff instead. They're too cool. <laughs> too cool for such a thing. Yeah. Yeah, they gotta, they're off playing Call of Snipers or whatever. Call of Snipers, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, it's actually, maybe we can work with them together because they seem to have a lot of infrastructure we need already there. They organize a lot of things that we wanted to organize as well, like a movie night or workshops. They have everything you need for this. Um, We, we will see because uh, the people that were there at that, uh, yeah, yesterday was it, um, they couldn't really help us. They said uh, we should just come to the next uh, meeting where all the you know workers from the youth centers, uh, center are there. And that's apparently on Wednesday. So, uh, yeah, uh, we'll probably tell you more about this next time we record a podcast. Uh, but maybe... So do you think they could be the solution to your space problem? They can, but it will create more problems. Um, 
they are in a completely opposite part of the city uh, as the university. So if we move uh, in there, which we might do because it's kind of the perfect solution, but then also we are away from the university where, well, our our members spawn, you know? <laughs> That's where we get our new people. <laughs> so um, maybe I was thinking of um, having our space in the youth center, but also having still a weekly meet meetup in the university where we just yeah casually meet up we don't bring all our stuff we just meet talk uh, maybe have some presentations show stuff talk about ideas and, and that kind of stuff but we work actually in that other location that's something i i thought of but um we will have to see because nothing is really set in stone yet uh another thing that i took away from this meetup is uh we need to make an instagram because <laughs> uh all these young people that were there uh that's that was apparently their main uh yeah main communications thing were there actually these people they were interested in uh yes stuff? because yeah that's what i was um i said to space on that um uh, here in the city where i live in there was like a little meetup group uh it, it it's really not that popular but they organized like a 3d printing meetup and it got full like so it's interesting to see how many people are interested in this topic and if they see something you know like this they instantly go there but they just if it, most of the people don't know about this stuff that that these even exist yeah so they really need to work on their marketing their website sucks uh, we told them that they are fixing it now um but we can we can help them you know we can help them with the marketing because i uh, push our marketing to an extent <laughs> that is crazy i uh, made the instagram today uh and and everything it's just i hate instagram it's so annoying but uh, we <laughs> try to do everything uh put ourselves everywhere we can um, this is a hard challenge actually well, yeah. my thought also with this space is like you could have a very good symbiotic relationship with them. They because they they have exactly. something you need and and you have something they need. They we need engaging them. events to make the youth who are there want to go to their space and actually you know like use it. And you need a space so and also new members so that it's actually worth it to hold an event out on that side of the city. So if you can also you know get some people who are are willing to travel there and, and go to a, like a weekly event or something like that, the space gets a huge boost from that because I'm sure you know they're it's not like people are beating down their door to throw like interesting technical events there. I would also um, just love to get people from outside because right now we are more or less only students from that same university, uh, and that's kind of uh, yeah very monotone <laughs> in that way. And if we could just make more events, get these... Because the young people that were there, that came to the meetup, those were all very motivated to actually do stuff. Um, which made me very frustrated that the mayor actually left after five minutes. Uh, that was really a shit move. But um, yeah, they were really motivated. I could see making workshops with them. Uh, that would be super fun. Just um, both with the people working in the youth center as well as the actually youth that is interested that was there. And um, yeah, we'll see how this goes. It's a hard problem. How do you how do you um, marketing to do marketing for a city? For like, how do you get your hacker space known in the city? 
because it sounds easy, but it's not. I mean, for the university, you can put out like posters and stuff, and you can do the Instagram thing. But still, it's hard to for people in the city to get to know you, right? Or I don't know what what is the straightforward way to do it. So we are in a pretty small city, so hanging up flyers and and posters, that kind of stuff, helps a lot, actually. Um, and yeah, I just hope we get more people over Instagram because what I instantly noticed today is uh, a lot of stuff that is happening in the city uh, is happening over over Instagram and Facebook. Uh, get but them not to get them to promote yeah. your events. I mean, yeah. unless they are the worst, but official accounts are <laughs> are, are good because they'll get mailing lists and stuff, and they'll act as a proxy for your marketing and they'll push stuff out for you. Yeah, you should, I hope so. You should also do the huh? yeah. Um, the, the Facebook events, the meetup.com and like... Meetup.com is something I have on my to-do list right now. Uh, also do the Facebook events. They are really... <sighs> if people use Facebook, they get notified are, about this stuff. We are stuff. all very allergic to Facebook here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Instagram no, is owned by Facebook. Yeah, but I know. The, I Insta- know. And I pro- hate it. The problem with Instagram, I don't think there is like great event stuff for it. But Facebook has a really good event organizing no. thing. Instagram, however, is great because people nearby will get our pictures um, recommended sooner or later if they look for the right hashtags, at least that is. Uh, um, or if they are in the same interest group, they will see our stuff sooner or later. And if they see our pictures, because we can just post every week from our meetup, we can make some pictures and post them, um, they will instantly get an idea of what we're doing. You know, it will instantly... Uh, draw people's attention that are interested in this kind of stuff. Um, so that's what I see Instagram is great for. Um, yeah, not so great for um, yeah making events, I guess, but uh, it's at least something that we can get new members uh, from. Because Twitter in this city is dead. There is I, I couldn't find any official account that is really... We have the university reactivated their account uh, a few months ago but they still have only 40 followers on twitter we have over 100 now <laughs> we have our hackerspace has more followers than the university we are at um, that's interesting <laughs> yeah um, so we have an upcoming meetup with the youth center uh, and figure this kind of stuff out maybe who knows everything will be fixed there's also an upcoming meetup with another guy from the university uh, next month or this month. It's nearly next month anyway, in two hours. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, because we there there was a conference with uh, the student parliament and, and other important people and uh, we were mentioned and there was one professor that uh, was really hyped about the idea and uh, said that maybe there could be something done to get us a room and that kind of stuff. So we are just gonna meet up with uh, this this guy and see how it goes. Uh, who knows? Maybe it will be very frustrating and uh, bureaucratic uh, experience like we had every time so far. Uh, but maybe it's actually someone that thinks uh, more straight away and uh, gets shit done, you know. Um, 
but yeah. Yeah, you just have to keep trying. Uh, you're doing all the right stuff, and yeah, you're finally starting to get success, but you're lucky. Like, in some of these, most of the time, people have to get shot down a lot before they get somebody to say yes, but fortunately, you have a lot of good stuff behind you as well that makes you look legitimate. Yeah, but also, we, we have to try again and again. I can't, I can't tell you enough how frustrating that is uh, being surrounded by people that um, just... They are scared away by bureaucracy and insurance policies and that kind of stuff. Uh, for example, even if we, yeah, right, we ha we have a room now we could use, right? But we cannot keep our stuff there because other people use the room and we can't use the locker because the professor didn't clean his shit out of the fucking locker. <laughs> and even if we have the room, we can't really use it at daytime because at random points other people might use the, might need to use the room. Uh, and we can't use it in the evening because uh, at 7 p.m. we will get kicked out because they lock down the entire building, which is ridiculous because usually hackerspace meetups and that kind of stuff, they they start at 7 p.m. usually or, or even later and go deep into the night sometimes, you know, and that's something we can't do. And we need to have someone at the university that, uh, don't see, that doesn't see these problems and just things of the solutions because this can be fixed nothing we demand is impossible it's just that someone really needs to um, uh, be motivated to do it it's we have a lot of people that say oh yeah what you do is great but at the same time they are not doing anything to help us uh, they just uh, say oh yeah hmm, no can do because whatever policy x y you know right but and the, yeah. the solution to that no not to get too deep into it but the solution to that is for one persistence what you're already doing and for for a second looking at people who do have others at the at the same school say yes to them and finding out you know why that's working you know if if you have any like other references or examples or anything that you can hack or, or just appropriate for yourselves like it's it's really difficult to go at it but if you have an example of, of them giving what you need to someone else, it makes it easier for the person you're asking to say yes, because they have an example of somebody else doing the same thing. They're less scared off by the bureaucracy. It's It sucks, yeah. though, because nobody is, wants to be the first one to do something. Nobody in a system like that. Uh, which is why I wrote this entire concept document uh, and went through basically as many spaces as I could find uh, and make a list of good examples because I found a, I found actually quite a few that are working together with universities. I found another one that um, has a meetup at um, uh, at 8 p.m. in a university building in in a, in a lecture room. It's not like they have their room; they just randomly meet in a lecture room and they can do that. And here they go crazy about insurance and stuff. Uh, mm. Ridiculous. So yeah. Um, yeah, we just have to find the right person. And now we, I think we are very well prepared for this upcoming thing. Um, but yeah, it's just something you have to keep trying and trying and trying. And at some point, uh, yeah. But uh, the, the f uh, last few weeks were just very um, kind of depressing. <laughs> <laughs> Things were moving forward, but also not really, because we are still having this room issue. And without this room issue fixed, we can't really move forward. It just keeps us... Uh, where we're at right now and can't really grow or do anything cool like workshops but yeah that's uh, pretty much it okay so our last section is on low cost hacking what you can do if you only have maybe ten dollars and uh, want to pull off something that's really big with a device that's really small 
So I've been playing with a couple different devices that I really like. I took an Arduino class at my school and they let us use a STEM Terra board, which was awesome. Uh, and I got to learn a lot on it, but I kept buying stuff off AliExpress to see if it would work similarly. And I got a Digispark. I got a um, C, what is it? Something Beetle? Do you remember mm -hmm. what it is? Um, it's a, basically an Android Leonardo that's just on a, a USB development board. And then, of course, the ESP8266. So uh, for my final project in that class, I, I put together some things that were interesting. The last couple of days, I put together a 4th of July-related project that's interesting. And then at uh, Layer 1, which is a hacking conference in Los Angeles, we went ahead and did a whole game that was Wi-Fi hacking that was called the Chicken Man Game because of uh, one of the notable contributors. Um, <laughs> And we uh, we got to have a bunch of beginners and experienced people play our Wi-Fi hacking game at a conference. It was our first conference where we presented it, so that was kind of a big deal. We brought like a whole camera rig. Uh, we just got a bunch of stuff the night before, so we were using like a new stabilizer and a new camera. It was a terrible idea because we didn't know how to use any of it. So I had two jobs. I had to do the Chicken Man game with like other students from my school, uh, uh, right? Of the CJM. CU Beetle. Yes. Uh, super cool development board. It's like between three and six dollars, depending on where you get it. And it, it can do serial that all the stuff that DigiSpark can't do. And by the way, super recommend it. It's it's awesome. But um, at the conference, uh, we had a couple issues. One of them was a bug that basically anybody who got past the medium level difficulty just got showered in points. Um, so when you looked at the leaderboard, there was like people who got to level like the first level and then everybody else. And it, so if you didn't get past like the medium level, there was just no chance of really placing on the leaderboard very effectively. So that was a little bit annoying, but we got to meet a lot of really cool people. The conference organizers were amazing. Um, it's just like a really like nice community here. It's not it's not a big conference, so it was perfect for us to just meet a lot of people in our local community, show off our game, show off uh, what we do at our school too. Um, yeah, it was uh, it was really awesome. And then also, ironically, the winner of the game was somebody from your Discord server who I'd spoken to a couple times, uh, Pon Kite. Uh, he came by and was great. Not only like kind of maxed out the game, but um, as soon as the person who actually won the game wasn't there at the award ceremony for us to give out the prizes, he was also not only the second place person, but the only other contestant whose Twitter name I remembered off the top of my head while I was up on stage because I did not bring my computer. So no matter what, he would have won second place. Uh, but he actually did get the second most points. Um, but it was cool that like somebody from uh, uh, <laughs> from Spacesuit's Discord server was not only at the the uh, the conference, played our game, and then scored quite well too. Uh, it was a nice little coincidence. Uh, but what was cool about it was um, everybody was able to score points. People that had never hacked Wi-Fi before, people that had you know maybe hacked Wi-Fi once and then gone into some other field of security got to come back and try it. So it was pretty challenging the first time you do it, just getting familiar with the commands. But everything worked flawlessly uh, except for the point showering. So we were able to hook it up with a couple Raspberry Pis and have people play one-on-one. -on -one. And then we had a big NeoPixel strip that lit up um, half red, half blue. So as you scored points against the other team, like it would start to like go more towards the red or, or shift more towards the blue. And after 15 minutes from the first point that was scored, it would flash the color of the team that won. So it was a good short game, um, but there's some things we would definitely change about it. Uh, I think like the next thing we're gonna do is make a duel. So, okay, imagine this. You have two Raspberry Pis, two wireless networks, and then the, the wireless network is connected to a relay, which is powering the Pi. So you have to hack your opponent's wireless network before they hack yours. And when you do, 
you kill the power to their computer. <laughs> so it's like a, <laughs> oh it's a it's like a computer knife fight. You just gotta you just gotta kill the other person's computer before they kill yours. So I mean, it's a Raspberry Pi. So whatever. If the SD card gets corrupted, I just flash a new one. It's like not a big deal, but it's cool. And it, and I've been experimenting with more things that can be like dramatic and fun to play without being expensive. So this one, you know, the idea is don't hack your neighbor's router. Hack this safe Wi-Fi network that can emulate a ver- you know, a couple different vulnerabilities, so that um, you can practice a lot. <clears throat> you can test out new Wi-Fi hacking tools. You can play with your friends. And hopefully in the future, you could do this either from like a, a custom board that's low cost that maybe does a couple more things like have NeoPixel output to make it really fun to play or a light bulb, which um, we can, we talked about light bulbs and IoT stuff last time, but I'm really interested in putting this game into a light bulb because it has its own <laughs> lights. It's super easy to play. You can grab a couple of them and like set it up in a way that looks really cool. So that's one project that I'm kind of really interested in pursuing in the near future is making a game in a light bulb, the chicken light bulb, Uh, (laughs) and uh, making it uh, something that people could hack themselves. So like if you had, imagine a a development board where you can play the chicken man game. So it's like a Wi-Fi network that's um, generating handshakes for you to hack. Uh, but then you could switch it, and it could be like a different game that is a vulnerable web application where you're listening in on web traffic and trying to intercept a password so you can log in. I would love to create like a couple of games that are like a network and Wi-Fi and application based that can be supported on the ESP, and then port them over to like a development board so people can plug it into like a big NeoPixel display and like run a local hacker CTF, or into you know some light bulbs so that you can just stick this literally anywhere you have a light bulb socket and play this game. That way, I mean, you could be anywhere where there's a light bulb socket, plug it in, and then you have this game to play. And of course, you could make that light bulb evil, which is something that is some research I'm doing right now, and I'm really, really stoked about it. Um, so if anybody listening to this is a Arduino specialist or a IoT specialist, specifically with uh, you know connected devices like these light bulbs, we're really interested in hacking them and making a framework um, kind of like Empire or Metasploit, where the light bulbs connect to a server, and then you push payloads out to the light bulbs, and they control local devices on the network that have like a backdoor or something like that. So, um, I mean, we're playing games with them just to get get it so beginners can spend three dollars on an ESP and then start you know hacking Wi-Fi in their house right now. But the future would hopefully be like a custom light bulb they can plug in, flash different hacker games to, and then anywhere there's a light socket, or you know, if they want the board to like make it more of like a community event where you can make it really flashy and make it react when you hack it, those would both be things that beginners could do for not that much money and still get to have, you know, the experience of, of hacking something without the risk of going to jail. Um, so that was my first project. Uh, that was the layer one chicken man game project. You can check that out at, oh, I bought a URL, chickenmangame.com. <laughs> oh my God. It just redirects to the chicken GitHub. Chickenmangame.com. Yeah. That's how you know I'm serious about this project. Oh it God. goes right to the GitHub. So if you want to play our chicken man game, you need at least two ESP8266s. It could be a D1 mini. It could be, um, you know, whatever. Just, you know, got to have two of those. One of them creates the network. The central one joins it. And then you just kick back on Kali Linux, sniff the packets, uh, grab the handshake, and hack the network. And it has a fun uh, interface for you to prove that you've hacked it. So there's uh, pictures of students playing it on the uh, on the GitHub. I'm going to put up like a full walkthrough at some point, just if you've never played it before. But uh, yeah, it's a really fun game. It, for some reason, has a bunch of stars on GitHub now. 29, which is cool. Uh, so hopefully other people are playing it, and we'll fork it and do fun stuff with it. Uh, we've put a lot of love into it. So 
Yeah, play the Chicken Man game. It's the it's the best game to play the, to not get arrested hacking Wi-Fi. The Us oh, God is amazing. Yes, a thousand percent. If you play this game and you use our custom Raspberry Pi image, you get a chicken with a minigun. So <laughs> <laughs> that's the our, so our student club uh, leadership and technology uh, is the one that organized a series of um, these workshops with my um, my my partner there, Brandon Piaz. Uh, Pays, sorry, has been um, like putting together these cybersecurity workshops and like um, being like my right hand on like setting them up and getting them uh, full of students, and they've come out amazing. So the chicken man game was kind of the the crescendo of that. We got everyone to like play against each other, and it was awesome. Um, so the next project that I'm working on uh, is the Arduino fireworks project, and this is. This has taken up the last two days of my time, and as I was saying before the show, the the opinions on this one are sharply divided between <laughs> like my European friends and my American friends. All my American friends and my Australian friends and New Zealand friends think that this is the coolest thing they've ever seen. All of my European friends think this is a useless, uh, like disruptive waste of time. Um, I, of course, know that it is the best because I live in America where setting off fireworks without getting arrested um, is a right that happens once a year. And we celebrate that freedom by, in my neighborhood, having a bunch of people who all came from the same town in Mexico set off some of the largest illegal fireworks uh, you have ever seen uh, outside of like a full production show. There are more of them. They are better. By the end of the night, you can't see anything because the sky is just thick with smoke. <laughs> but um, they have the official displays, which are like, whatever. They're fine. Whatever. They're, they're very restrained. They're safe. And then you have the dangerous, you know, little like 12-year-old, 8-year-old kids taking a firework that's like the size of like half of their head and jamming it into a tube upside down and then lighting it. And then the whole thing explodes at street level. Like, that's what we're talking about in my neighborhood. Um, so it's been a tradition for a while to like to... Um, watch these people set off this just ridiculous, like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars worth of fireworks, like brought up from Mexico. Which are I used to live in a neighborhood that did a bunch of Chinese fireworks, and they're they're different. The the Mexican fireworks are bigger um, and less reliable, but they make up for it in power. Um, so they explode on street level more, but when they go up, they're really impressive. So last year. I um, I lent my technology expertise and showed them how to do timing fuses. So I would like wrap the fuses around each other uh, so that they could set off groups of fireworks. Because they just had like eight dudes all setting off tubes at the same time to like coordinate the displays and make them look fancy. So I was like, hey, let's use automation. So this year we set a stretch goal and we're like, we want to be nowhere near the fireworks when they're going off. Like last time somebody got hit on the head with like a star. Like it was it, it was chaos. So we want to be like behind glass when the fireworks are going off. And we're going to like basically teach the neighborhood people who have all the, the illegal fireworks how to use the system. So we're not necessarily doing it ourselves, but we're, we're teaching them the, a safer way to do it so that they're not literally you know having their face halfway over it while they're loading it and then lighting it uh, immediately after another one just went off. So our, one of the ideas is safety, like making sure that you don't get your hand blown off and that you're as far away as possible when you set off like a really big firework. And the second is you can adapt this to anything. So it could be like a sparkler, it could be like a little like fountain, or it could be the just a firework you want to be absolutely nowhere near if it were to go off um, upside down in the tube, which happens again all the time. So our goal was um, I wanted to do this over Wi-Fi so you can do it remotely. I wanted to do it for super cheap. So we did it with aluminum tape, alligator clamps, and a little bit of Nichrome wire. Um, we we started I saw out the pictures. It looks uh, so 
so sketchy. So dangerous. Yes. Yeah. So when we started out, we had the wrong thickness of the chrome wire. So our plan was we, we pass a little bit of the chrome wire into the firework. It goes off instantly when the heat from the battery heats it up. So we used a relay um, that's a, a D1 mini like breakout board that goes on top of our shield. It goes on top of the, the uh, D1 mini. So um, the ESP D1 mini um, controls the relay and switches it on and off. But because we were using the wrong thickness, we had to use a boat battery in order to get it to heat up and instantly go off, which is like six amps. Uh, and then we found one cable in my whole house that was a seven amp power adapter, and that would make it go off. But we were starting to get up to the level of amps that I was like worried about. So we ordered thinner necrome wire. We used 30, 36 gauge, or it's either 36 or 38 gauge. It says in the guide that I'll, I'll provide. Oh, the, it's actually already on the GitHub. Uh, but with a thinner gauge wire, we could use a 9-volt battery, and it works perfectly well. And we could also use super long wires. So if we need to trigger it manually, we can just use a button to just, like, tr- trigger the relay on and off. So that was really cool. Um, so, the, yeah, the first generation was using a button to just, you know, switch on and off the relay to prove that we could do it. But it was still way too close. We didn't want to be anywhere near it. So the second generation, we used um, just ni- nichrome wire, and then uh, we just set it to, uh, you know, burn the uh, and I would send a web request and basically what that's doing is I send up like a post request to uh, and a web server that is sitting on the ESP. It interprets it, which tells it which pins I'm addressing and what I want to do with those pins. So it'll be like pin two, uh, analog one. So it'll set pin two to the analog value of one, which actually arms it. So when you're starting one of these up, you can't just tell the pin to write digital one because you have to basically set it to write. And the way to do that without specifying in the code first is you set it to analog one. And that's convenient because if you're dealing with a firework and you don't want it to go off first, setting it to analog one turns on the red light on the relay, but it doesn't actually click over the connection. So um, in my code, uh, eventually when I automated this, I had it set analog one to arm the device and then set um, to digital one to fire it. So digital one is full on, digital zero is full off. Analog one is like not very on, but still not totally off. So that's the way that I, I initially just sent a web request, which was just curl in a, in a terminal window. And then, you know, the, uh, the, web re- the URL that I was using to specify the pins and such. And that worked really well. Just a simple curl request in the browser allowed me to manipulate the pins um, on and off. And that's all I really needed. So the last step was using a bash script. So do you guys watch SpaceX watch launches? Yeah. Yeah, I watched them. Okay, so I'm wearing a SpaceX shirt, uh, shirt right now because I'm uh, <laughs> in unity with my friend uh, Kurt from SpaceX. So uh, I love the part where they tell, they say that the computer is taking control of the launch. That sounds like scary, ominous, and cool, all all bunched into one. So my whole like one of my like underlying goals is I want two things: one, for the computer to take control of the firing, and two, for it to literally tell me that it's done so. So my final uh, my final version of this is a bash script, which automates the curl request. So you just say um, bash firing.sh, just a shell script. And as soon as it runs, it first tells you like verbally that it's taking control, which again, scary and cool. It counts down five seconds, arms it, and then says firing, and then it fires it, and then the, the firework goes off, and then it says safe, and then it turns it off which to me is one of the coolest things I have ever made. Cause I'm using like, you know, like $30 maybe worth of hardware to remotely set off like a big firework. That's, uh, it's so cool. So again, this could be a sparkler. This could be a fountain. This could be literally anything that uh, is safe and legal, of course, in your area. 
Um, but if you're just helping people not get their hands blown off, um, it's still, I feel like, harm reduction to make it so people are going to be farther away from these sorts of things when they're setting them off. Um, there is the issue with checking to make sure. So our firing procedure is like first we we check to make sure there's good conduct conductivity on the round, uh, on the firework, um, and then you take the uh, firework, put it in the barrel, and then check to see if you have good conductivity across the bolts. And the way we're firing this is basically we put two bolts uh, into a, a mortar tube, so that when you drop the firework down into it, if you wrap each side with aluminum foil, it makes contacts with the bolts. And you can put uh, put current through the bolts on the outside of the launcher, and it just launches the uh, the firework right out. So super cool. If you want to see it, it's uh, I've spent the last like night that I should have been sleeping documenting the code. It's at uh, github.com slash skakar slash Arduino fireworks. Uh, sorry, Arduino fireworks. And it's actually really well documented. I have like schematics, uh, well, photo schematics and other uh, information about how to build the circuit yourself. And it works on pretty much anything. The core thing is you use aluminum tape on either side to um, wrap it up so it gets good contact with the bolts or whatever else you're going to be using to fire it. You use a tiny little piece of nichrome wire shoved into the fuse uh, to pass the current between those two halves of whatever it is you're launching and heat up that wire in between. And then the wire heating up, even from a 9-volt battery with the right gauge of wire, is enough to just launch it instantly. So you can script it, you can you can make your own firework shows, you can make them go in unison. It's super, super cool and easy to do. So um, it took me, yeah, like a, a day with my friends to engineer all of this stuff. And uh, it's going to... We're very competitive. So I think that this year, the neighborhood will definitely respect us. You know, when, when you send these images, I was thinking about how actual firework people do this. Oh, yeah. So real firework people use an electronic match. And that's something we could have done. Basically, we're being a little bit ghetto because we're, we're jamming the, uh, the, the nichrome wire directly into the firework. And we experienced um, a problem where if we put it in too far, it causes the second stage of the firework to explode in the tube, which makes the contacts really dirty. We had to take the bolts out and clean them. Um, so the solution to that is you take like a little bit of like potassium nitrate, which is like you can buy that um, in a lot of like fertilizer stores. You mix it with sugar, um, like in a 60-40 ratio, and then you heat it up so it turns into like a peanut butter style, like um, like consistency. And you put it a little like drop of it on the end of the nichrome wire, um, or sorry, in the middle of the of the nichrome wire, and it makes it an electronic match. So that way, even a small pulse of power instantly sets off the little gob of, of it's, it's basically like a smoke bomb, but it creates enough heat to set off the rest of the firework. So it's much more reliable. You don't need to put it as far inside the firework. Um, it's just a better overall design, but I don't have time for that shit. The 4th of July is coming up, so um, we did it, we did it a, a slightly less professional way. But essentially, like, they rig it up with an electronic match, and then they have, like, a, a giant matrix of, uh, you know, connections that they use to trigger each one. So, yeah, that, that used to be done using fusing, but nowadays it's all done using electric firing, like what we rigged up using Arduino. And for, for again, for, like, 30 bucks. So even if it's something safe that you're setting off, it's still, in my view, funner and safer to set it off from a distance over Wi-Fi. Interesting, interesting, yeah. One note, though, is I didn't get a chance to build this, but if anyone wants to add this improvement, adding a manual shutoff button um, would be a really nice idea. Because if the ESP gets jammed, uh, or like if the Wi-Fi gets jammed and the shutoff signal doesn't get set, you have the potential to accidentally like keep the power on 
the Necrome wire, which eventually would just burn out or whatever. It's not the biggest deal, but it it would be nice if the Wi-Fi got stuck if you were able to manually disengage the relay so it stopped sending the, the firing command. But, you know, what are you going to do? So yeah, if you want to check it out, look at Arduino Fireworks. I've been working on the last two days. It has photos, GIFs, uh, and like a step-by-step -step series of instructions on how not to blow your hand off, such as do not put your face over the barrel and um, do not touch while hot. So I've thought of everything. But also, I assume no liability for taking on this project. I recommend nobody do it, and you should not just don't, I mean, whatever, just be careful. Like, just don't sue me, because I, I didn't tell you to do this. I just said what I did. Uh, so that's it for the Arduino fireworks project. I'll probably post some stuff from my area on the 4th of July. Again, it's like, it's like there's just explosions going off everywhere. It's very... It's, it's a lot to take in, um, but I'll let you know how it goes. We're going to have some people over. We're going to hack some regular fireworks. People are going to bring in their own fireworks, and we're going to cyberize them by um, you know, <laughs> using aluminum tape and, uh, and putting them on a launcher. My prototype launcher, I didn't secure the base, so it rocketed it directly at my face, bounced off my computer, and then started a fire. So keep in mind, you need to have like a like something to put out a potential fire if your project misfires, because there's a GIF of it uh, launching directly at me uh, on that GitHub page. So the, the last project I've been working on, and this was actually my final for my Arduino project, was um, a project using the DigiSpark. And the DigiSpark is a weird one because it's basically stretched to the absolute physical limit of what the board can do, stuck on its little um, development board. It emulates a lot of like USB stuff like within the chip so that it doesn't have the usual like actual uh, integrated circuit that takes care of that. So because of that, it you can't do stuff over serial. Um, you have to use a bootloader to load code on it. So you have to like upload the code, press upload on the code. It, it waits for 60 seconds and then you plug it in. And then there's like a, they, they have to like, they have to be in the right state at the right time. The Arduino has to be ready to send it, and then the, the bootloader has to be ready to receive it, which only is for the first five seconds that you plug it in. So it's very different from an Arduino. You know, you, you plug it in, you leave it, you, you push code to it whenever you want. Um, that doesn't happen with the DigiSpark. So there's a lot of limitations, but I was like, hey, what if you could do some cool hacking stuff for $5, like five bucks? Like you can't even buy food for in Los Angeles for $5. So what if you could do some like real bad hacks for $5, and what kind of bad hacks would you do? So um, my first thought was you can use the DigiSpark as a, a ghetto version of a USB rubber ducky that nobody would ever plug into their computer, but it still does keystroke injection. And I've done a couple projects on that before. So the first thing I did was I created a rogue network with the ESP8266, and uh, then I used the DigiSpark to and basically inject that network into whatever computer I plug it into. So there's what's called a preferred network list, where the computer saves every single network that you've ever told it is trustworthy to connect to. And then that, that list causes it to automatically connect to those networks when they're in range. So what I did was wrote a ducky script that says, hey, this, trust this network. It just pops up a, a command uh, window, tells it, hey, quick, trust this network. And then it exits um, after sending a post request. Uh, and connecting to the network briefly to confirm that it works. And what that does is it basically creates a Wi-Fi backdoor on that computer, where at any moment I can kick them off the real network they're on, and their computer will automatically connect to my fake backdoor network, and I can start you know, interacting with the netcat shell I put there, or doing all sorts of other bad stuff. Maybe I put a payload on the ESP, and then you know it downloads it after a while. But the goal is just first, like let's put a backdoor on this expensive Mac, Mac OS computer so that we can trick it into connecting to this malicious network we're hosting on you know this three dollar ESP eighty two sixty six whenever we want. I was like, okay, cool. That's the first step. So 
The next goal was to use all Arduino to do higher level attacks. So how do we like take this attack and instead of just doing a post request, like ratchet it up a bit so that we're doing more stuff. So we can't really download a lot of stuff for computers that are behind firewalls or need internet or don't have internet access. Or so if it if we're trying to hack a computer that's not currently connected to the internet, it means that we can't actually download a payload, you know, from like a public like a VPS or something like that. So if we're going after someone's computer and they're not connected to the internet right now and, you know, or they're behind like a really restrictive firewall, how do we get a payload to it? You know, it's it's hard. Like, do we bring our own payload? Well, in our case, we can just use an ESP to host our payload, and then we can download it as soon as we you know plug in our DigiSpark into the computer. So it's like a it's a HID style human interface device style attack that we're using with the DigiSpark to get it to trust the um, the ESP eighty two sixty six. So that was pretty cool. Um, and we can already use that as like a stager slash payload style thing where, you know, we have a stager that goes on the DigiSpark, we plug it in, and then the payload is downloaded from the ESP and run on the targeted device, which is pretty cool. And um, we, I also looked at a bunch of different boards that would be able to pack all of this in one, basically have the, the human interface device injection as well as the Wi-Fi connection so you could interact with it. And most of them were very, they just looked like a bunch of random components slapped together and they're like, hey, we can make some money. Let's let's put these together. And it just looked horribly supported. It didn't look like there was very much documentation at all. So um, I was not very encouraged uh, looking into those devices, but I was encouraged by some of the research that uh, Spacehoon has been doing into actually working with smart home devices like the light bulb uh, that's able to do a lot of the stuff that his deauthor does, like deauthor, you know, kick a target off Wi-Fi, uh, persistently like look for certain devices, uh, like create a bunch of fake networks that cause other devices to react in a certain way. So my thought is I want to continue advancing this attack. Um, because I want it to the final design to kind of act like a local Wi-Fi implant that is going to connect back to a server uh, where the hacker is kind of managing it, get instructions, and then locally manage infected devices without really needing to connect back to the internet for long periods of time. So let's say that like I want to push a payload to this like this malicious light bulb, and as soon as I get uh, the 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 person who actually like has access to the network to be gone for a second, I can plug in my payload, get them to do something like, let's say, connect to the light bulb uh, instead of the real network, and serve a phishing page that asks for the network password. So once I get the network password, I can be on their network, I can see all this internal stuff and really start to dig into it, but the first step really could be just getting them to think that they're on a network that they're not really on and give a password that they're not supposed to. And that's kind of where my research with this is going. Uh, if I can use the DigiSpark to force the computer to trust a network and then trick that user into thinking that they're still connected to a trusted network, I can serve them a, a pretty convincing router phishing page that says, hey, I'm updating, I need you to put in the network password to restart. And then that person has just given over the, the Wi-Fi password because they, you know, it looks like they're connected to the right network, but they're not. It's it's one that like looks very similar. But I mean, to them, you know, it's just router maintenance or whatever. And I think um, one of our other friends was working on something like this. Uh, so I wanna I, I I wanna maybe reach out to more people that are interested in this sort of thing and see about like the best way to implement this. But my goal is um, something like that would be able to use forcing the computer to connect to a preferred network list to also serve a phishing page that gets us deeper into the network and deeper into the person's uh, kind of uh, stuff.
So there was a tool. What I, I don't remember the name, which did the exact same thing with the phishing page. Do you know? Do you know about that? No, I don't. The I think Wi-Fi Fisher or something. Oh. I'm, Oh yeah, yeah. I've covered Wi-Fi Fisher. Actually, and now that I think of it, I've seen a couple examples for the ESP that serve up a basically. Uh, it says, "Welcome to this free public Wi-Fi access point. Please enter your Facebook, Instagram, <laughs> uh, whatever credentials to log into the access point." And they and people do it. They they're like, "Oh, oh yeah, I'll just put yeah, it on my yeah, Facebook, and it'll get free internet." So sometimes, you know, you don't need to be so sophisticated as to trick the user into like forcing to connect to your network. But if your computer already trusts the network, most people are like, oh shit, I, I joined this network at some point or whatever. Or, or they think that it's it's supposed to be happening because otherwise, like why would you be connected to a secure network that looks, you know, exactly, yeah. almost exactly like the network you were just connected to that's now but telling you it's updating and needs the network password to reboot. Like doesn't seem too suspicious. This is a step up from the Wi-Fi Fisher thing because what that did, if I remember correctly, is de-offed the normal Wi-Fi and created the same Wi-Fi without encryption. That's so right. the Flexion, right? It's oh, both. yeah, that um, both was... Of, both of them I work remember. on the same principle. Wi-Fi yeah. Fisher and Flexion do roughly the same thing. So does AirGetIn. Yeah, so is it Wi-Fi Fisher or Wi-Fi Pfizer? Wi-Fi Fisher. Because I heard people say Pfizer, and I was like, um, okay. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, with this step, you can kind of remove that a step where the user had to connect to the other Wi-Fi to get the phishing page, because it will connect automatically. So the best part I think of this is if you are tracking someone that's using a VPN, I came up with a script for the DigiSpark, which unfortunately doesn't use the ESP8266, it's just the DigiSpark. But what it does is it injects a cron tab, so basically a job that executes every 60 seconds that calls a Grabify page. And when it does that, it passes as the referral URL the every single network that's nearby. So think about that. It scans for the name and BSSID of every network in range of the computer that it's running on and sends that to Grabify. So I get their their IP address, like their, their VPN IP address or whatever, or maybe their real one if they're not using a VPN. But I also get the geolocatable like Wi-Fi networks that are near the computer physically. So if I put those into a Google API or a Wiggle Wi-Fi, I can see exactly where that person is, even if they're using a VPN. Because first, I'm running a command that, that says, hey, scan the area and give me a list of the Wi-Fi networks, and then put it in a single line. And then I'm saying, okay, send that line as the referral URL to the, this Grabify link. So then when that sends, I get the IP address as just because that's the way Grabify works. And then I get a big long list of every Wi-Fi network near that person, which I can, again, pass it into an API and get their actual geolocation. So it's a VPN fucker. I built a VPN buster. It, it, it messes up people's VPNs by giving me their real location. Huh. That's, that's cool. For I like, I like how you use Gravify to do this. This is, this is super smart. Yeah, it was super cool. So as soon as, and it's persistent. So as soon as you start up your computer, this is for Mac OS again, but as soon as you start up your computer, every 60 seconds, it will scan Wi-Fi and then send that list to Grabify, which will also record your IP address and a couple other details. Um, I did run into a couple issues with Grabify thinking that it was an automated attack um, and going into like protection mode. So tracking goes down every so often. But honestly, this creeped me out. Um, if somebody, if I knew that somebody could just plug this into my computer and then it would call back their tracking server every 60 seconds with my exact location as derived by something I have no way of controlling. 
you can't, I mean, you can turn on your VPN, but unless you, macOS allows you to, without root, scan for nearby Wi-Fi networks. I did not know that. So that gives me the ability to geolocate a macOS computer via these sneaky background requests uh, in almost real time. That's really cool. But yeah, so if, if I had known it was possible uh, for somebody to stick in a USB drive and then track my computer in real time um, over just the Wi-Fi networks I was nearby, you, you would... It, how do you use your computer? Like you have to be like plugged into Ethernet with like Wi-Fi turned off and what and like you know know how to go in and check for these jobs. So I was heavily inspired by Tokyo Neon, who's a writer at Nullbyte that I I hired. He was my last writer that I hired when I was the editor there. His articles are amazing. His Twitter is super cool. It's uh, Tokyo Neon underscore on Twitter. He comes up with these one-liners that are just literally scare just terrify me. They're like really, really good. So if you want to find some amazing one-liners that can do some serious damage, check out Tokyo Neon because he heavily inspired me when I was doing this tracking script. And uh, yeah, he has a lot of really good stuff. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I don't know what to say about this. This is, um, I mean, this is amazing on a whole different level. <laughs> well, hopefully more people will jump in and start playing with it. Um, I Like I said, I think that connecting this to the smart lights is super, super cool. So I'm hoping that our projects can kind of combine a bit and we can uh, we can make something that uses the lights as the ESP component. But yeah, I love that I got to work with uh, with Grabify because uh, I just I just learned about them like a month or two ago and I'm already trying to find interesting ways of using it. So yeah, a lot of cool like community stuff that I was building on top of in order to make that project. But suffice it to say that I, I impressed and frightened my Arduino class during my final. <laughs> So today we covered technical talks, how to give them, how they're valuable, and what exactly to avoid. We covered setting up a hackerspace, building a community, and the frustration of dealing with bureaucracy, as well as the success of getting a company to actually sponsor their first workshop, and also doing a lot of bad stuff with Arduino, although not all of it was bad, because some of it's safety-related, making sure people don't blow their hands off, uh, although the other stuff is bad, which is tracking your computer every 60 seconds in a way that's very difficult to, to uh, detect or prevent. So all in all, lots of uh, cool projects that we're working on. I guess stay tuned to see how our community is working out with Spacetune and how my bad Arduino <laughs> projects are working out with me and how David's technical talks and projects are working out too. Um, I guess uh, we'll see you next time. Um, I want to, I, I need to shout, give a shout out to the patrons, Aaron, uh, Adrian, Eric, Kenneth, and Kerry, because we... I always forget this. <laughs> I o I always nearly forget this. I think we never forgot it so far, but still. And we uh, always thanks. have it. That's the that's the important thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, thank you to everyone that supports the show and everybody on this podcast. That also give feedback. Oh Please. yeah, give give us feedback. With the with the previous episodes we got more feedback than ever before. So that's great news. So we are trying to make a shorter, uh, shorter episodes now, and and pay attention to the timing. So if you like that, uh, please say and give us yeah, feedback look, about it. Because the feedback, now the feedback is uh, actually uh, it changes things. So now we are trying to yeah, you uh, could impact the podcast. Yeah, we <laughs> yeah. listen to you. Yeah, not like the city government on this f freaking meetup thing. <laughs> 
<laughs> they okay i need to i need to say this because this really upsets me right the mayor super casual i didn't even know it was the mayor i mean i was i kind of know it was him but i wasn't really sure because he didn't introduce himself he just started this meetup thing started talking uh and he was kind of nice and he said you know we have this music festival in the city so i have to go in a bit uh i thought this is okay right but there were two other city council people there that were kind of uh high society because they ran around introduced like like shook the hands with everyone and we were like who the fuck is this um so really really awkward from the start and they vanished instantly after the photo was taken the mayor like said why he needed to go because we have this big festival going on understandable the other people why did they leave um But uh, most ironic about this is, in the beginning, the mayor said this is that this is an important meetup, that everything that is uh, discussed here can actually have a big impact, a big change. We are listening. Uh, this, yeah, this this will make progress in the city, and we are not going to ignore you. Then, well, obviously, they made the press photos with everyone, and then they left. <laughs> Ignored everyone. No impact. No change. Great. Good government. <laughs> so hypocritic. Yeah. Okay. On that note. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. Thanks for watching and bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.